Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 241. And with that number, we give a shout out to defender Joy Fawcett, who earned 241 caps for the U.S. Women's National Team between 1987 and 2004. She was a starter for four World Cups and three Olympics. And three times she came back from having a baby to play in a Women's World Cup. So shout out to the ultimate soccer mom. And oh yeah, she was the first ever coach of the UCLA women's soccer team back in the 90s. Two chats today. First with former national team midfielder Lori Lindsay, who believe it or not, is going to be appearing soon on American Ninja Warrior. And so we talked about that and also about the first few weekends of NWSL season seven. Then I had a great chat with Gemma Clark, author of Soccer Women, the icons, rebels, stars, and trailblazers who transform the beautiful game. This book just came out. It's available on Amazon and, and other places. It's a great, great book that's just little short chapters of different people, well, obviously different women who have impacted the game. Everything from Sharon McMurtry, who was the first ever player to win the U.S. Soccer Player of the Year Award back in 1985, um, up to Mallory Pugh, Rose Lavelle, and a lot of players in between. And it's not just about uh, American women as well. So I highly recommend that book, and I hope you enjoy these two chats. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Lori Lindsay, former U.S. national team midfielder, former NWSL, everything. We'll just give you that title, Lori. Um, and I have, I have you on tonight because I want to talk about, of course, the beginning of the NWSL season. But first, you have to tell us about what you're working on right now, because I just found out about this and it's the most, most hysterical thing ever. Hysterical thing. Well, thank you for having me on. I always love being on this podcast, and you know how much I love you, Jen. So thank you. (laughs) And um, yeah, so I am about six days out of competing for American Ninja Warrior, (laughs) and it's funny. Let's say that again, right? Let's say that again. Lori Lindsay, U.S. national teamer, will be on American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, it. it is quite funny. Uh, essentially, what happened was American Ninja Warrior reached out to U.S. Soccer, um, knowing that the Women's World Cup was this summer in France, wanted to, like, you know, promote and be excited and, like, rally around the women's team, reach out to U.S. Soccer, was like, hey, do you have any players um, who are available, former players, and they were like, well, you can't have any current players. That's not going to work. Of course um, not. And let, us think of, and let us think about what's going on with our former players. And I think they're like, uh, who's available? But then Aaron, Aaron Heifetz was like, yes, actually, I've got one, and named me. Heather Mitz was also thrown in there. I'm not sure if anybody else was, but um, essentially since Heather just had her third child back in August, it makes sense that here I am, the chosen one. And so um, I'm exhausted. My body hurts. I miss soccer. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, there's actually – it's been so many LOLs, but also amazing experience and super humbling. And I want to go there. And, and they train see. you? So they train you for several weeks and then you compete? Or how does that work? They actually don't train me, but they put me in touch with a guy, Najee Richardson, who has competed. I think this is going to be his fifth year and is one of the best. And he's in the Philly area. 
So they put me in touch. We haven't been able to link up actually until tonight, which was amazing. And it was the best thing that could happen to me six days out because I got some really key key coaching on some, some specific things, was able to go through a few of the obstacles that that are very similar to what we'll see. And so um, let's just say I'm feeling a lot more confident than I was this time last week. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. I think it's, it's, it's nothing like soccer in terms of the, um, the competition, obviously, in terms of me hanging and swinging from things. Cause I was never doing that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and that's super humbling, but it is, I think when I get there, it's going to be a lot like game day pressure and the excitement and all that kind of stuff. So at least I have that, um, in my back pocket, that knowledge. So we'll see. But yeah, now, when do, uh, when do we get to watch this? So it's this Sunday in Baltimore. But from my understanding, it's the first season opens up May 29th. And I'm not sure how who gets on air or what. All I know is I show up on Saturday. We do all this like B-roll. We do all these interviews. And then it's like really late night competition Sunday night. So, and I'll have, you know, my nickname, my nickname playing because I was not fast was Lori Lightning Lindsay. And those are the t-shirts I'll be wearing. So it'll be fun though. Kind of blast from the past as well. I love it. Well, good luck this weekend. I, I hope, Thank I hope you. your body survives. Oh, me um, too. Uh, or at least, uh, at least, at least your brain, because we need you to keep your soccer brain going to call these NWSL games. And I was so excited to see that you were on the slate again this season to to call games for the streams and so two weeks in and you've called several games so you know just I know it's earlier in the season but having several under your belt what are your early thoughts about how the 2019 season looks you know it's an exciting it's an exciting season in the fact that you know we have some new coaches in the league um we have um there's so there's Obviously, we know that this league is so competitive, right? From top to bottom, any team can really give a go to another team, can expose teams' weaknesses week in and week out. But I also think there's slightly a chance that this could be a more open year than we've ever seen, right? And, like, obviously, North Carolina has been successful, and they've um, gone to the championship and won, right? And they've been a clear favorite. But I think there's a chance that we could start to see some real differences in these teams on, like, who – season seven so it's like who's who's bought into the philosophy who gets it right and uh and we're already starting to see that there wasn't a ton of change throughout the off season except for bringing in some of like the rookies so like you said it's set, it's a second year or excuse me second week but i think we could start seeing some things open up here more than we have in the past and i like that you you mentioned you know who's buying in who's you know that th- that angle because as we've had the league this long now you really start to see the different patterns in how clubs develop so you you look at what paul riley has built with north carolina and western new york flash before that you know you you know what the identity of that club is you look at portland thorns you know what the identity of that club is you look at rory dames who's the only coach who's still with the same team that he was with in 2013 we're watching Laura Harvey in the second year of a new club. And when we think back to her second year with Seattle, you know, 2014, Hey, they ran away with the league and, you know, we're, we're end of yourself shield winners made it, made it to the final. And then also your newer coaches. So James Clarkson in Houston, it seems like a completely different Houston. 
Orlando, I think, still has a lot of work to do because, of course, Mark Skinner didn't didn't come on board as early as I'm sure they would have liked to have him on board. But we're starting to see, you know, as they sign different different players, what you know, who who does what. Um, Washington Spirit, you know, getting their first win with a very very young team. And, and I definitely want to hear from you about that, that, you know, that's, that's your home club and such a young roster and great for them to start the season with a win. Um, but I, I can't wait to see how they, how they play against one of last season's playoff teams, but talk, talk yeah. about that team first. Well, I would also, I was just going to say, I would throw in Vlatko as well into that, like, right. There's like about four or five teams at the top. And then the bottom four were like still a little bit like with the new coaches and were they going to buy in or how is this going to go? Right. Um, yeah. And with Washington, I mean, listen, like really impressed these first two games by them. Um, you know, young players stepping up, doing well. I wasn't sure how this Utah game was going to go. I thought Utah could have pressed them even more. I mean, we didn't see them get pressed at all against New Jersey, and I felt like they kind of got off scot-free. But mm-hmm. um, Utah with a bit more pressure, but not as still as much as I think that you could put that team under, especially just being young, right? But really, they want to circulate the ball around. There's some confidence with Andy Sullivan and the way she's getting on the ball and um, moving the ball and circulating it around. The one thing about the spirit, though, that I'm curious about is they're national team players. I think Andy has stepped up and is doing well in there, but I, I, I still think Mal Pugh has a whole nother level. I think she needs to demand that of herself. I mean, this isn't like, yes, she's young in terms of age, but this is a third season and like, you don't get a pass after that. Right. It's only, you can only say you're young for so long and if right and do well, she's got, especially if you're going to be buying for a potential starting spot on the women's national team, you can't just kind of float around with your club team. And that's how I feel about that. If best spirit team, this year wants to do well regardless with the world cup right like when there are full rosters there it's got to be mal Pugh, it's got to be rose lavelle she's got to stay healthy the players those players need to demand more of themselves and they need to step up and that's a that's a roster that's so young that they really do need to see some players step up with the retirement of joanna loman you know, you really only have Tori Huster left as the only player from the original squad in 2013. You can't put it all on that player. I I definitely see a a leader growing in in Aubrey Bledsoe. But like you said, if you, if you, if you want to be called up by Jill Ellis or, you know, any national team, if, you know, if you're not the US, you have to make a mark at the club level. And, And we've seen a lot of players, it's like we know they're good we know how good they can be on the national team but if you're not showing at the club level i think something's wrong Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's interesting a little bit about orlando right now right it's like they have so many good players but you know what i'm not so sure that those players actually mix well together there's just not there's not a there's not a real true linker in there for me I'm, I'm a big fan of Van Eggman. I think that she does some great things, I think, that go unnoticed. Um, mm-hmm. But she seems to do those more often with Australia, right? And then when but you look at the club level, and they don't have somebody – I mean, it was a 1-1 game versus Seattle. I thought Seattle played them off the park. And that's why I put Blacko in there, too. You, Regardless of how many injuries they have, how uh, many players are out with just 
for example, Justice Fishlock playing with Leon, it's like there's still an understanding from the top player to the bottom player, right? Or just like number one to number 22. Right. Who's, um, that whenever they're going to play, they get what their role is, right? And I just don't feel like that is the case right now with Orlando and still some other teams working out some of those kinks, right? So... Well, and, and, and talking about Seattle, we had a goal from what I would say is a very unlikely source Sunday night, Bethany Balser, who which was a trialist with the rain, signed over the weekend. She scored the goal for Seattle, and she's coming out of an NAIA program. Um, you know, I like that on the broadcast they said, first ever player from NIA, even though that was wrong, but that's just me. Um, but... <laughs> But but that's such an important thing to highlight because I think we all do get lost, especially with coverage of the draft, that if you're going to be drafted, you're probably going to be from one of the top programs, not even just Division One, but the very top of Division One. So it's really exciting to see that with preseason and, and a coach like Vlatko, who's always doing his homework to look for that special player, that there is a way to have an opportunity in this league, especially when you think back to, you know, to get into a college, you're probably committing what at age 15, 16 now, but we know that there's players that don't develop till after that. So I I was, I was thrilled to see a player like Bethany Balser get, get that goal. I mean, well, get the goal, get the start, get the contract, all of it. Yeah, and what a bright spot. I mean, I thought she was fantastic. Was not playing like she was a rookie or someone who no one expected her to be in that league, period, right? So, I mean, she played with maturity, and that goal was brilliant goal. What a strike. So, I mean, I think that, that is the difference that we're seeing right now is, like, and you said it, like, doing their homework, coaches doing the homework, but also coaches getting the most out of their players, right? Because we're seven years in or seven seasons in, but it is still this is still a young league, right? So coaches are learning as well um, what works, what doesn't, how can they get through. I mean, this isn't college. It's completely different, right? And so how can you motivate players? And we're, we've seen that with Paul Riley. We see that with Blacko. I think you see that with Laura Harvey and some of these other coaches as well. So I think those are the small details that are going to push teams one way or another. And then last question for you, Lori, and I know this, this can be a tough one, but if you're Denise Reddy, how do you approach season two after, you know, the roughest season we've seen in women's pro soccer in this country? Yeah. Um, you get a player that can play in behind. I think that is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was quick and specific. Yeah. Um, you know, I talking to Denise on multiple weeks, you get the sense that she has a clear idea of how she wants to play. Right. I think mm-hmm. the tough part is sometimes you have to take a step back. Am I being as clear with my communication on how I want to play as I think I am? Or do I not have the players that can actually play the way that I want to play? Right. Right. Or do they just not, or do they not care? Right. I mean, there's a multiple, there's some, there's a variety of things that could be happening, but at the same time, I mean, we're, there are glimpses of this team being good, right. Or being, having more success than actually one would say that they're having, right. Which is none. So, um, but for me, and, and that's just speaking the truth because they're not, right. Um, right. 
But for me, it's too easy for for teams to play against them right now because there's no one that's ever threatening in behind. And if you're not keeping a back line honest, it's all, no matter who plays in the back line, it's going to be too easy because they can always defend going forward, right? And that is the biggest piece. And I think they thought, we're hoping at least, that Jen Hoy was going to be doing that this weekend. Well, she didn't. Right? She didn't do it. There was nothing there when Monahan came in there was more of that, right? But it's late in the game, you're chasing the game at that point in time. So I mean, you see that across the board. Orlando, not that successful, but they have a Marta, they have an Alex Morgan that can put in behind. You can say that with Rachel Daly, right? There's players that can uh, and that's just one piece of it. I think there's probably a multiple things going on there. But if I would say the easiest thing you can start with, recruit somebody that uh, players can play in behind and threaten in behind. Just threaten. And McCaskill could potentially be that somewhat when she gets healthy, right? But there's got to be. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't had a chance to, to see her. Um, yeah. and, and I think you also have the transition period of you've brought over Estelle Johnson, Caprice Didasco from Washington, of course, Naho Kawasumi from from Seattle, that there's there's some great players in there, but there is going to be a, a learning curve of, of coming together. And of course, this season compared to last season is a much different challenge for any coach because you've got that big World Cup gap in the middle. So I'm going to surprise you with one more last minute question. So this okay. one is actually actually your last question. Who do you <laughs> think who do you think is going to win the Women's World Cup? Mm, good question. Okay, well, or, or, or let me do, let me do this because I because I know it's hard as a former U.S. national teamer to not say the USA. Who do you think is going to be the biggest surprise team wise at the Women's World Cup? I'm who I hope. Is well, no, Australia. whatever, whatever. Australia. Well, no, no, no. That, uh, sorry, that's how I was answering it. Who I hope will be is Australia. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like what they brought against the U.S. team, right? I know you're not asking who do I hope, but that's right. – I don't know if they will be, but I would like to see them be extremely successful because I think they have some really quality players. I think there's somebody like Sam Kerr should be playing on the highest stage in, like, a final game because she's – I think what she's doing alone is phenomenal. Um, I also – France. Because I love the way they play, and they're playing in their home country. Those would be my two. And what I what I realized recently um, is that unlike the men's World Cup, where home there really is a home advantage, we have not seen home advantage play out in the women's game almost at all. No, yeah. Uh, you know, you have the U.S. in '99, and again, that was you know an incredibly tight final that went that went to penalties. You know, so many more instances on the men's side where they host and they go all the way. So. You know, I'd like, in a way, to see if if France could break that for the women. Yeah, I mean, because in 2011, yeah, Germany had a ton of pressure. Yeah, yeah, Uh it's crazy. And I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure that France has that pressure because they haven't won, right? So, right, a ton of support behind them and more like hopeful. So, yeah, we'll see. But regardless, I think it's going to be just a phenomenal tournament that. France will get behind big time. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk soccer and good luck with, <laughs> with, your, with your first appearance on American Ninja Warrior. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for chatting soccer with me too. And I will let you all know how American Ninja Warrior goes. <laughs> All right, Jen Cooper here with Gemma Clark, author of the newly released Soccer Women. And I have to read this the subhead because I love it. The icons, rebels, stars, and trailblazers who transform the beautiful game. Gemma, thanks for joining me today to talk about your book. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. Well, the first question I have to ask is, what's your soccer background? Well, I started um, out as a soccer writer in my early 20s, not long after graduating uh, from college. Um, and at the time, it was uh, it was in England. Um, so this would be about 2002. And there really wasn't a, a much of a women's game then. Um, and so I didn't really know that it was an option to write about women's soccer. I was very much <laughs> of the mindset that, like, you know, the men's game was where it was at. And so I, I wrote about men's soccer and um, was sent around to various, you know, parts of the UK writing about different teams and different games. And eventually I was um, I was given the task of reporting on the Women's European Championships, which were was in England in 2005. Right. Um, and, you know, from there, I, I just sort of kind of fell in love with the game and um, more so, again, since moving to the U.S. in 2010, um, I was kind of blown away by the fact that the women's game was so big here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having come from a place in London where I played soccer and I was the only girl playing soccer with like 300 boys. um and it just it just didn't seem to be very much part of the culture at all. It was very male dominated. It was all about the men's game. And so to move to the U.S. where it was the complete opposite um, was such a breath of fresh air. And so, uh, you know, I got more involved. I got to go to more women's games. And um, when I had kids, I managed to um, start bringing them. So my my son's first game was actually the the World Cup final. <laughs> Uh, in Vancouver in 2015, <laughs> and he was tiny. He was six weeks old, so he'll never remember it. But, um, but you know, but he can like, say he was there. Exactly, exactly. And it's had a kind of a funny effect because now he he if we have men's soccer on, he's always like, I don't want to watch men's soccer. I want to watch women's soccer. So I'm doing something right. I feel. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's the story. So what? So what was the idea that that brought this book to fruition? Well, I I had a meeting with an editor and I, I knew that they were wanting to put something out. Um, the publisher was, was looking for somebody to write about women's soccer. And um, I had I had read this great book, Soccer Men, which was by a, a writer that I absolutely love called Simon yes. who Yeah, who's written yes. extensively about the men's game and um, a little about the women's game as well. And um, I... You know, I said, well, if you were going to do a book about women's soccer, you know, it'd be really exciting. I don't know why there hasn't been one about the great women's players of all time. Um, And so they were like, well, do you want to just, you know, write a proposal? And I did. And it went from there and um, had quite a short time to write it, really, because um, it was time to come out this this year for the World Cup. Um, And so I really wanted to, to... to tell the history of the sport through the stories of the players, you know, from the 1890s um, to the stars of the future. Um, so that's that's what the book's about, really. It's just these incredible players and the history of the game. 
So it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of short chapters, you know, going as you say all the way back to the 1890s. Um, of course, you, you know, you look at the table of contents, and there's a lot of familiar names, but there's also a few a few different names, and and that's what really intrigued me. I I was so pleased to see in the first cha- in the first section, you know, the 1890s to 1980s, Sharon McMurtry, which mm-hmm. a lot of people a lot of people aren't going to know who that is. But uh, with, with my deep dive into the U S soccer media guys, I knew exactly who that was, <laughs> but, but <laughs> tell, tell that's, tell just a little bit of that story because that's, that's the start of U S soccer. She won the U S soccer female player of the year, the first year they had it, which was the first year of the national team in 1985. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she came through, she was really the, the original, um, star of of women's soccer before you know there was any coverage at all um she sort of notoriously played in in the first international game um in Italy and and missed a penalty which i think she kicked herself about for a long time cuz that would have um, been the first goal in the history of the US women's yes yeah exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> um so so she missed that opportunity and i think what's interesting about that is is in that missed opportunity, you know, she really sort of wasn't, um, you know, she didn't really make her mark in history because of that, but but should have done really, you know. Um, and she was part of that sort of team, the 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 Kozars and um, Anson Dorrance um, uh, then kind of brought a lot of uh, new players in and um, for the 91 World Cup and she was sort of, phased out um, before that happened. But but she was really one of the key players in the 80s and, and involved in in bringing women's soccer to fruition and, and, and playing a key role in, in uh, forming that first team. So I, so I love that you've got her story along with, of course, you know, the big names as we can call them, you know, Akers, Foudy, Scurry, Chastain, Ham, but you've also got moving forward uh, some stories that I think fans might not be as aware of. Um, Tiffany Milbrit, who last year was finally inducted into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, that I, I mean, I have to admit that was the first chapter that I read when I scanned the the table of contents. I was like, "Ooh, I want to read this." So, so just you know, give a little highlight of of, of her story that you included because. You know, these are these are short chapters, but it is so it's like just a little glimpse for each player of, of a moment, really, as opposed to here's their whole bio. But I really love the moment you captured for Tiffany Milbert. Yeah, I mean, just what an incredible player and what an incredible person who really, you know, also didn't get her the credit that she was due. Um, she was actually the top scorer for the USA in, in 99 and um, was kind of forgotten, I think, largely by history. Um, and I think she will even say, like, she put that down to being, you know, she was a strong character and she knew how she wanted to be coached and, um, you know, felt that she wasn't getting the the, the freedom to play that the way that she wanted to. And um, the story she told that I just... I mean, it seemed to sum it up and it became relevant again last year, you know, when Ada Hergerberg won 
the Ballon d'Or and was on right. to twerk. Um, yeah. <laughs> she was nominated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Tiffany was nominated for the first, um, it was the first player of the year award from FIFA. The first time right. they had included women. Right. Um, so she was nominated alongside Mia and alongside Sun Wen from China. And uh, Tiffany and Sun were at the, were at the, um, the ceremony in Zurich where they have, you know, all these journalists in the room and she was at the top table. And I think it was with Raul and Beckham. And, um, I can't remember the other, pl- the men's players, Figo, right? <laughs> so Louis Figo. Um, and they were showing a, you know, a montage of all the players, great moments. And she was sitting up there and she said, Raul sort of watched her montage and leaned in. He was like, wow, you, you know, you're amazing. She was like, thanks. And, you know, <laughs> A really good feeling, and then they um, they opened the questions up to the to the journalists. And this was this was a ceremony where they were about to name the player that won from each, you know, from the men's player and then the women's player. And uh, the journalists only asked the men questions. And so the women, you know, Tiffany and and Sun Wen were just sitting there, kind of twiddling their thumbs. And then eventually the moderator said, "Okay, like let's have a question for the women." And uh, you know, crickets silence and then eventually a reporter puts his hand up and says and uh who do you think is going to win the men's award (laughs) 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 you know which they were about to announce like five minutes later um so they you know tiffany and someone were like well (laughs) i guess we'll find out in a minute especially when they can't even fake it and just go how does it feel to be nominated for this award Exactly. Yeah. Congratulations. Like what's yeah. the best goal you've ever scored or like, you know, yeah. it's just so, and that, and that was after 99, you know, I, yeah, that like, was 2001 or 2002. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just goes to show like how, how little attention was paid and, and still really is paid, I think by large swathes of, of the sports media. Definitely. Definitely. And I also, you know, Moving forward, you know, I, I love how the book is organized that there's, you know, kind of swaths of, uh, swaths of time, you know, so you've got what what I almost call the dark years, uh, but you have a, a league of their own where, you know, we, we had WSA, we had WPS, but it was just, you know, little blips, you know, and then... Mm-hmm. You know, the the next batch you have, which has, again, a lot of names that fans will recognize, like Christine Sinclair and Hope Solo and Abby Wambach and Alex Morgan. But again, you've got some, some fascinating kind of secret stories that I don't think people would, would know about, like Kelly Lindsay coaching with the Afghanistan women's national team. Of course, a lot of my listeners are going to be aware of that because I've had Kelly on the podcast, but also uh, Lisa Cole. Uh, I, I liked her story, you know, coaching with the Papua New Guinea national team. So, so talk about, um, talk about that, talking to Lisa, because she's been someone who has, you know, been part of women's soccer in this country as a coach for a long time. And we just haven't really seen her had the chance to get elevated to head coach. No, and I, I think it's it's really incredible to me, given the amount of experience she has, given the fact that Tony DiCiccio was her mentor. Um, right. You know, and, and also, you know, internationally, you know, she has this experience of coaching the Papua New Guinea under-20 team, which is just absolutely fascinating. I mean, Papua New Guinea is a, is a relatively new country, so it was only formed sort of 40-odd years ago. 
and what you have really is this this disparate nation of all these different regions uh, and it's it's a very tribal society so there's, there's a lot of conflict and so she was charged with with gathering a group of girls together to play together all of whom came from really warring factions and warring tribes and wow. trying to carve a team out of them and this is this is a country that has never participated in international soccer this is the first time they've ever had an international soccer team because because the tournament was played in Papua New Guinea and this is a society that is you know gender violence is absolutely endemic it's like something like 90% of of women in Papua New Guinea will suffer some form of gender violence, you know, or abuse at, at some point in their lives. And and then they're hosting this women's soccer tournament. And Lisa's in charge, you know, of somehow <laughs> uniting a team and then uniting the country behind the team. And the story is absolutely fascinating and it's it's one to me one of the great all time great soccer stories. Um, so I don't want to give away too much, and, pro- and probably some of <laughs> okay. people know, you know, the the that what happens. But um, you know, just just an absolutely fascinating story. And I think that for her, you know, she she was a coach at Boston, and, and you know, was was let go for some kind of very odd and and spurious reason. And I I think her story also just serves to show how difficult it is still for women to become respected as coaches and to be given the credit they deserve and elevated to the roles that they deserve. You know, we're still very much a a, a society and and a and a sport that looks to men to to be leaders. And that's that's why I wanted to you know highlight Lisa's chapter that it's like there's there's the player story and there's obviously there's a lot of players in here because there's a lot of players whose names are in it but there's there's the other parts of of the story mm-hmm. and yeah are, are there any other you know chapters you want to highlight for for my listeners that maybe was your favorite or or your unexpected like wow I never would have thought this player would have said that kind of story or just I, I, there's, there's so many that I was so surprised by. Um, there's a player called Aziza Ai, um, who made her debut at the age of 42. You know, she just kept hoping that she'd get to play one day and she's from Turkey and her family had, had banned her from playing soccer. She'd sneak out into the local fields and kick a ball around with farm hands. And her family said, you know, if we ever, catch you playing soccer we'll 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 have you killed and she said that she retorted well fine just bury me under a corner flag then <laughs> you know? so it was, it was, <laughs> and I felt like that really summed up the the passion that so many of these women have although you know it, it's not quite as extreme in some cases the lengths they had to go to and the the challenges they faced you know there is still that um that sentiment running through, which is, I, I, I love this game. I want to play this game and, you know, nothing's going to stop me, you know, and you see that from, from Kelly, the women that she coached um, while she was in charge of Afghanistan. And right. um, there's a player from Pakistan and a player from Iran. And, um, you know, even somebody like Birgit Prince, I was, I was amazed at her story and just the way that, 
she was sort of expected to, you know, she always said she was expected to be sort of happy and smiling and she just wasn't that kind of character and she was a serious soccer player. Right. And I don't think she got, you know, I don't think she got that level of respect and, and I don't think her, her exit from the game was, was really what it should have been. Um, you know, I think, and Tiffany Milbrett too, you know, I think that, you know, we're very much, um, of the mindset culturally that, that women should be grateful and, and malleable and, and pleasant and, you know, probably pleasing to look at and all of those different things and, and, and not kind of, you know, not, you know, athletic or not strong or, you know, sort of, you know, not able to speak our minds, you know, all of these things can be seen um, negatively. Um, So it's been really interesting just seeing that through the lens of these different players and seeing their journeys and, um, and what works and what doesn't and, and what, what they get respect for and what they don't get respect for. You know, and 20 years on from the world cup, that was the one that had the first to have a really global impact, you know, where so much coverage and, you know, ratings and, and all that stuff that, you know, you can see we've advanced so much. And at the same time, I, I feel that we're still stuck in the, you know, aren't these women great role models? Um, you know, don't they inspire little girls? Let's inspire the next generation. And I feel like that they, that they get trapped in that. And that's, that's not all of who they are. And, and that's why I, you know, I appreciate reading books where you can see the good and bad, that it's not, especially a book like this, Gemma, that's not one person's story of here's my struggle and what I overcame, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's like the, you know, the whole realm of, yeah, there's all these women with all these different stories and they have a common theme, but they also, they're very much individuals. Right. And I think that's what's, you know, it's so, it's one part of it. Like they're, they're inspirational and they're role models and, you know, but I also think that can be limiting and it can end up being a little patronizing. You know, what amazed me is that when you look at it um, en masse, the women, women soccer players are, are expected to be so many different things alongside being soccer players. They're expected to be philanthropists and activists and, and not that they're, you know, they do this willingly. You know, they want to improve the lives of other women. They want to improve the game for, for other women right. and, and girls. But but the fact that it is it's such a huge part of what they do, you know, they're not like the men who show up and play and get paid and go home and, you know, play Xbox or whatever. <laughs> not that that's necessarily a different, you know, a better life. Um, but just that there isn't that, that it's not available to them. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's a woman's work, you know, you, there's so much more to it, to being a women's soccer player and even just advocating for the game. You know, we're still there with the NWSL of like, you know, still trying to get the coverage and, and still trying to encourage supporters to buy season tickets and, and all of that work that, that could be done by by different outlets and and could be done by people investing in the game it still falls to the players well and i'm just so excited again i mean i I sound like a cheerleader but i mean seriously i'm a junkie when it comes to anything that 
that is published about women's soccer. So I'm so excited that there are several books that have that have come out or about to come out leading up to this World Cup that are not children's books, that are not tweener books. They're just like, hey, here's real stories about about these players and these tournaments. And I just, you know, Gemma, I had a great time reading your book and, and, you know, I hope, you know, that you, that you get to write a sequel, you know, maybe after the Olympics. I hope so. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's, I really, yeah, I want to, I want to keep adding to it. I, there's so many players. I was like, Oh no, if only I'd got her in, <laughs> you know, since it's been published. So hopefully it'll keep expanding. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Seventh NWSL season is, of course, underway. we got the third weekend coming up. Note that every game this season will stream live and free on Yahoo Sports if you are in the USA, both online and via the Yahoo Sports app. If you haven't already downloaded the app, do it now so it's ready this weekend. And if you've had the app on your phone for a long time, I do recommend deleting it and reinstalling to make sure all the new NWSL features show up. Note that after 48 hours, the game videos later become available on nwslsoccer.com, but they are immediately available for rewatching via Yahoo. Now, if you're not based in the USA, obviously nwslsoccer.com is the place to go to watch all those games. And next month, we have the final round of international friendlies before the Women's World Cup kicks off on June 7th. The U.S. Women's National Team have three friendlies scheduled before they head over to Europe. Sunday, May 12th versus South Africa, Thursday, May 16th versus New Zealand, and then over Memorial Day weekend, they will play Mexico at Red Bull Arena before they head to France. All games will air live on TV, either Fox Sports or one of the ESPN channels. And the provisional World Cup rosters are due to FIFA in the next few days, but that's the 30 to 35 player roster. Those are not necessarily made public though some countries will likely announce their final 23 players before the late May deadline. So we'll, we'll start seeing a, a lot of rosters being announced. If you haven't already checked out the t-shirts that I've designed at keepernotes.spreadshirt.com, be sure to check them out. There's at least one t-shirt for every team in NWSL. There's also shirts for the USA and Australia, and I'll be adding more designs when I can. $2 of each shirt sold goes to the NWSL Players Association, which is the union that represents the players in NWSL who are not on the U.S. national team. And last but not least, if you're still looking for gear to support your favorite NWSL team or the USA, you can reach out to my friend Sean, who took over the store that I used to run. Just email sean at soccerforall.com, and that is S-H-A-W-N at soccer for the number four all.com. Sean can help you get NWSL gear, not all the jerseys, but some of the jerseys. He's working on goalkeeper jerseys and he will have U.S. national team gear pretty soon. He can do a lot of customization. So just reach out to Sean at soccerforall.com. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who's shared this podcast. And as always, thanks to Sean for putting it all together. But now she's anybody's girl